Welcome back to another episode of Gary Richardson, the Legal Warrior Podcast. I'm Stephen Hislop, and I'm joined by Gary Richardson, the Legal Warrior himself, the founding partner of Richardson Richardson Boudreaux Law Firm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it is a beautiful Saturday. Gary, how are you doing today? It is a beautiful Saturday, and you know, Steve, last week, uh, our last session, I started off by saying we were not going to talk about coronavirus. Remember that? That's right. And then I end up talking about it. <laughs> well, we are not going to talk about coronavirus today. Good. I think people are hearing enough about it. They've heard enough. And, uh, you know, it's going to play out as it plays out. Uh, there's not anything I can do about it. You can do about it. and Or most of the people that will be listening in uh, can do about it. So let's talk about things that we can do something about. What I want to talk about today, uh, Steve, is the role of a trial lawyer. Okay. You know, I classify myself as a trial lawyer, meaning that I take cases to before a jury. I love the courtroom, and I love taking cases before the jury. And, and of course, you know, my background, <clears throat> excuse me, as you've heard me say and others have, is, is in sales. You know, I sold insurance for years. Uh, in, in training salesmen, I was sales manager and trained salesmen for a few years. And uh, then I also was a motivational speaker. And what all that means is, what a salesman does is take a set of facts about their product and then sells the facts, the truth about their product. Hopefully, you know, when right. I say hopefully, I'm sure there's some salesmen that violate that issue when it comes to truth. But I'm just talking about a good salesman. I'm talking about an honest salesman. Well, that's what a trial lawyer does. A trial lawyer takes a set of facts and, and uh, presents them to a jury in a way in which the jury understands it, sees the truth of it, and, and wins. I, I've tried, Steve, uh, close to 200 cases during my career. Wow. That's both criminal and civil. That's actually in court. In court in front of a jury. Wow. And I've lost four. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I say it's because, uh, number one, uh, I don't take a case if I don't believe in it. Right. And if I take a case and believe in it and I come to the point of the evidence no longer supports what I believe to be truth, then I'll sit down and have a talk with my client yeah. and just, you know, explain to them. I, I can't sell anything that I don't believe in. Now, let's be clear that since 84... You've had more than only 200 clients. Those are just the clients you've gone to the courtroom with. Yeah, those are clients I've gone to the courtroom with and tried the case. Right. Yeah, and that's actually uh, since 1976. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought it was well, 84. 84 is when I came to Tulsa and opened my law firm, but I'd already been in private. I'd already been assistant DA in Muskogee, and then I was in private law practice in Muskogee, then I was U.S. attorney for four years okay. in Muskogee. Okay. So it's in 76, but, uh, you know, again, a, a good, a good salesman, uh, has to have something he truly believes in, you know, and, and, uh, it's a lot more than just going and trying a case. It's preparing, you know, it's getting ready for cases. Um, you know, I, uh, I remember when I was U S attorney, for example, when the County commissioner scandal hit and I, I was the u.s attorney in, in eastern district of oklahoma at the time i tried one of the first ones tried but 
Then uh, we had a RICO statute, which is a federal statute, which is about ongoing criminal enterprise. Of course, allegedly the county commissioners, I'm not saying all of them, but this kickback scheme was going on for years in our state with the county commissioners. Right. No question about that. So it was an ongoing RICO act, and they had tried two or three in uh, uh, Western District and tried, uh, I don't know how many in the Northern District, and I tried one or two. No one had won the RICO conviction. Really? Now, the county commissioners were convicted on other counts, but uh, they were acquitted on the RICO issue. So one one weekend, uh, I had a trial coming up on Monday against the county commissioner. I went in and studied the statute, studied the facts, got prepared for that one specific act that I'd never prepared for before the way I did on this occasion. I never lost another RICO act. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's about preparation. It's about hard work. It's about believing in your product. And then I've talked about the Vic Fazell case. And uh, I'm sure most of you have seen by now the Henry Lucas uh, episodes on uh, uh, Netflix. And uh, it's, it's the uh, uh, confession, confessing, Killer, the confession killer. Yeah, the confession killer, and it, it has six episodes, and uh, you go watch it. If you haven't watched it, you must watch it. And uh, Vic Fazell, the DA in Waco, end up getting indicted uh, because he learned that uh, what they were doing with Lucas, and that was fraudulently using Henry Lucas to solve unresolved murder cases all over the country that he didn't do that he's ple- that he was pleading guilty to. And Vic found out how, uh, how they were using Lucas illegally so and impaneled a grand jury was going to indict eight law enforcement officers. I'm kind of ske- going over it, giving a thumbnail sketch of it because I've covered it before in detail. And uh, they found out about it, so they end up uh, getting Vic indicted. He was living at 84 years. Well, we devised a plan. And part of our plan was, is before going to trial, angering the FBI agent so much against Vic that the jury would see that. And for example, we had to go to, uh, they took all the property, uh, all the uh, files and everything out of Vic's office in Waco, took them down to Austin. We had to go down to Austin where the FBI agency was in order to look at our material to get ready for trial. Wow. And they had a camera in the room that we were, in, and Vic would <laughs> flip him the bird, you know, <laughs> and and he if he saw him in the hallway, he would do the same thing. And uh, they had some painting or pictures in the room where we, we were in, and uh, uh, a friend of Vic's had had printed a bumper sticker says, "Don't mess with Vic." <laughs> you know, there there'd been in Texas for years the bumper sticker that says, "Don't mess with Texas." Right. In this case, says, "Don't mess with Vic," and. Vic would put those on those pictures oh. yeah, in the FBI room uh, where we were placed to uh, go through the files. And so the point is, we were doing everything we could. We had a strategy. Upset the FBI gets us so much that their anger would be shown in the courtroom, and it was. Wow. And then convince the jury, which we did, and Vic did a great job of it. Uh, I... I um, 
will tell you that he, he was calm as a cucumber during the whole thing, as if he knew what the outcome was going to be. Uh, but uh, we convinced the jury that uh, it was retaliation by these agents, these officers, that uh, against Vic, they indicted him because he was fixing to indict them. And that's what the whole case was about. Vic was looking at 84 years, and he was acquitted. Well, the point is, it was far more than just Monday morning going into the courtroom and, and uh, presenting your case to a jury. Right. It was preparation. It was getting ready. And, uh, of course, I don't ever go into the courtroom, number one, prepared to lose. I don't ever go into the courtroom unprepared. So that's been my style through the years. And uh, that's why I've tried, tried nearly 200 cases and lost four. So one of the questions I have for you, and I know you just touched on it a little bit in that story, is how difficult is it to actually get to trial, to get through all the mediation and, you know, people are going to – the other side is going to make your client offers at times. Um, do you have to – is your end goal to get to trial unless you get a great offer? It's getting tougher all the time because, uh, uh, you know, there's so much pressure put on the lawyers to settle the case. Judges today, for example, will require you to go to mediation. That's rather new in recent years. And uh, then I, I have to say that because of the reputation of our law firm, and I'm not the only trial lawyer in our law firm, my son, uh, Chuck, is an outstanding trial lawyer. And... Uh, we have a couple other good ones, uh, Paul Boudreaux and Medical Miles Good. But uh, uh, we have such a reputation in winning cases that uh, the, uh, they offered us more money. Hmm. You know, for example, I'm, I'm involved right now with two other lawyers on probably 10 cases. And the reason they brought me in is because they know my name on the case will improve and increase what they can get out, out of the case. Right. So, you know, it's a matter of building a reputation over the years. And uh, another case that uh, uh, when I talk about what I'm talking about is strategizing, getting ready for the trial long before you go in the courtroom. And this is when I prosecuted the Speaker of the House, Dan Draper, when I was U.S. Attorney. And I told my assistant, U.S. Attorney, I said, Donnie is Don Baker from Tahlequah. I said, Donnie, I said, we, I said, if we don't get control of this courtroom, Gene Stipe will win. Gene Stipe had never lost in the Eastern District of Oklahoma Federal Court. Really? Never. He had never lost because he's so powerful, and everybody respected that power that, you know, a lot of people hate it, but they weren't on the jury, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I said, we have to get control of the courtroom from Gene Stipe. He said, how are we going to do it? I said, I don't know, but we'll figure <laughs> out a way. Well, when uh, Senator Stipe made his opening statement, lawyers wouldn't take him on. And I, I objected because he was making a closing argument in his opening statement, which is improper. Hmm. And, you know, in the opening statement, you just tell the jury what you believe the facts will be that they will hear. Okay. During the case. The closing argument, you try to sell those facts. Well, he started out trying to sell his facts before the jury had heard them. So I objected. The judge sustained it. Hmm. I objected a second time. The judge sustained it. 
the fourth time I objected, the judge said, Mr. Type, either stop giving a closing argument and give an opening statement or sat down. Wow. We just then got control of the courtroom. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So had we not done that, regardless of what the facts were, we very likely would have lost the case. So the point is there's a lot more to it than just going to the courtroom and trying a case, and you have to be prepared. And uh, so, you know, it's all about preparation. Gary, I've seen you over the years prepare for your trials, and what a strenuous, I mean, you spend hours and hours, I mean, I don't know, what would you say, tens, hundreds of hours reading and preparing. I read every single deposition myself. I, I know a law firm years ago, uh, two lawyers came to me wanting me to try a case here in Tulsa, and uh, they had like 15 depositions, and they said, uh, Mr. Richardson, you won't even have to read the depositions. We will have our paralegal summarize them for you. I said, look, if I take the case to try, I will read every deposition. Right. I'm not going to depend on someone summarizing them for me. <laughs> you because know, you'll... I don't cut corners. Right. And you'll you'll probably see a thing or two in that deposition that could change the case exactly. entirely. Exactly. And looking at the, you know, talking about strategizing and how you see things, it reminds me of the time you had somebody analyze your handwriting. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we uh, had a trial here in federal court, and uh, we had an expert uh, that uh, read handwriting, and she asked me if I would like for her to read my handwriting. I said, sure, I'd love for you to. She did. She said, wow. I said, what does that mean? She said, Mr. Richardson, I bet you don't get along real well with, with the lawyers you work with. <laughs> and I said, well, I feel like I do. Why, why do you say that? She said, well, there's only one reason you would. She said, they have to believe in you and, and, and believe in your thinking because you are at least two steps ahead of the average lawyer and you're thinking, and if they didn't believe in you, they would they would be arguing with you all the time about what your thinking is. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, using that, when I would represent a, a company, which I occasionally did, I would tell them I would not take their case if they allowed the uh, in-house counsel to be involved in it. The reason was I knew he'd be arguing with me all the time. Right. If he was a good trial lawyer, he wouldn't be an in-house counsel for, <laughs> you know, for some corporation. That's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, it, it's all about, you know, a lot of it's about sensing, about perceiving, about seeing. It's kind of like a Russell Hayes case, you know, that I've talked about a couple of times uh, in Muskogee, but it, it fits into what we're talking about today. He was uh, charged in state court with assault and battery and intent to kill and looking at a lot of years. And, and Russell came and hired me, and he'd gotten into a fight at a bar and uh, went and got his tire tool out of his car and, and almost killed this guy. And uh, Russell told me his story, and I, you know, I didn't, have any re I didn't have any way to prove it wasn't true, but I just sensed it wasn't true. Right. But, uh, and, and if I, you know, someone doesn't hire me to judge their story, they hire me to sell it, but I have to believe in it to sell it. So uh, I thought, well, I, we'll go to trial and I, I'll see how things work out. Well, when the state put on their witnesses, 
when they rested, when they finished putting on their witnesses, then they rested, and uh, we took a break, and I turned to Russell, and I said, Russell, you got a problem. He said, what do you mean? I said, Russell, when, when you're a lawyer that you've hired and paid money to believe in you and sell your story, no longer believes in you, or no longer believes in your story, I can tell you for sure the jury doesn't believe in it, won't believe in your story. I believe that what the state witnesses said is true, Russell. I believe it happened just the way they said it happened. And it makes a lot more sense to me. So the question becomes then, what are we going to do? Russell, you have to make a decision. We have a 15-minute break, and uh, your decision has to be that you will either get on the stand and tell your story or get on the stand and basically repeat their story. You, and you're probably going to say, well, how in the world could I ever hope to win if I do that? Russell, I don't know, but you, it's your only chance because I can't sell it if I don't believe in it. Right. And uh, and I didn't know at that point what I was going to do. <laughs> I just had a sense, you know, and, and I believed in what I was sensing. I believed in what I was seeing and uh, walked him out of the courtroom, a free man. And, and what it was about, and, and I didn't even think of this until I got up to make my closing argument, was he got in a fight with this guy because this guy was living with his ex-wife and was helping his ex-wife keep Russell from seeing his children. Hmm. And, and so, uh, you know, they got in that fight. Well, in closing arguments, it came to me. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, you know, this is un uh, a bit different than most criminal cases. This case is about love, a man driven by love, not hate, but love. The love in the heart of a man to see his own children. I said, now, I would like to think that I would have that strong love in my heart to do whatever I thought I had to do to see my children. I said, I don't agree with how Russell handled it. I don't agree with what he did. But folks, I wasn't in his shoes. Right. I hadn't been through what he had been through. So it'd be hard for me to judge him in what he did wrongfully. Yeah. If he's driven by love. And I believe if you look in his eyes today, you will see that. I believe you'll see the love in the heart of a man that caused him to do whatever he felt he had to do to see his children. Yeah. Now, again, I'd hope I would do it differently. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to put this man in penitentiary, because he was driven by so much love to see his children, you have every right you need to do it. I'm asking you not to. I'm asking you to see that he was so driven by love, it wasn't hate for the man that he injured. It was love. They walked him out of the courtroom. Wow. Yeah, they turned him loose. So, see, that's what I'm saying. Trial work is so much more than getting ready to go to trial. It's really getting ready to go to trial. Yeah. It's strategizing, you know. And, and of course, the case that Chuck and I won, uh, Chuck, of course, is my son. He's the managing partner of a law firm, an outstanding trial lawyer. And uh, he, he has a, a lot of vision and good sense. And he and I tried that uh, case in Lawton where uh, a guy was killed in his prison cell. And uh, long story short, that offered us $100,000 and jury gave us $6.5 million mm. because of how we tried it. 
Now, someone else could have taken those same set of facts, Steve, and tried it in a different way and got $100,000. Right. It's how you try it. It's how you develop your case. It's how you strategize your case. And, you know, sometimes if you go into the courtroom against a, a, a lawyer that really isn't talented, you have to be careful. Because if, if, as a trial lawyer, if I beat up on a, a less talented lawyer that really isn't talented and I make him look bad, that can upset a jury. Yeah. You know, and at least a juror or two, and, and you don't want to upset anybody. Right. So you have to know when to really hit them hard or when to hit them with softballs. Right. And and that I kind of reminded of, of you know, you hear people say that President Trump will absolutely uh, – beats uh, Sanders up in debates. You know, I'm sure you've heard that. I, I have, yeah. Yeah, and make him look bad. And there's plenty of ways he could do it, right? Right. You know, because of some of the blunders that uh, uh, Vice President Sanders has made. You know, but uh, I say if he uses good sense, and I believe he will, he won't do that. Because those that are for him don't need it, and those that are on the fence, you don't want to upset them. Right. You know, by beating someone up that you so far outclass, you know, when it comes to debates. That makes sense. Yeah. So all of that's a part of it. I mean, it's understanding people. You know, I, I've made a habit of studying people my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've studied myself why I do the things I do, you know, and why others do the things they do. Right. And you've talked about that and how yeah. you seek the answers. Yeah. I was picking a jury one time and a guy on the front row uh, just volunteered uh, in the jury box, volunteered, said, Mr. Richardson, I sure like that tie you have on. Immediately, I said, he isn't staying on the jury, and I took him off. Why is that? My sense was he wanted to stay on the jury. Ah. Uh. Yeah. So so he was, you know, and my sense was it wasn't, it wasn't for me that he was wanting to stay on the jury. That makes sense. That was my sense, just immediately. Right. When he said, I sure like that tie, and I I think most people would say, oh, I'm going to keep him. He, you know, he just said something nice to me. About, right. You know, I went to the opposite direction. That but guy's it, gone, so I took him off the jury. You want as neutral as possible. Yeah. Well, I want, I want people as possible. I have to be honest about it. I want people to be for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I didn't feel like he would be. Understood. Yeah, I mean, that's the job is to pick people for a jury that you think will more favorably look favorably toward your case. Does each side get to pick six? Well, what you do is you uh, uh, inquire, uh, say, 30 jurors, different judges do different amounts, and then you get to go in and strike so many off the jury. Okay. The judge say, Mr. Richardson, uh, who do you want to strike from the jury? And you get so many strikes. The other side gets so many strikes. And then that's your jury. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So I struck him off. So, uh, but anyway, I, I I just got to thinking a couple of days ago about, uh, you know, talking about trial work. And, uh, you know, folks, if you'd like to see some of the cases uh, we've won, go to our website, uh, richardslawfirmpc.com, and you will see that we have some of the largest verdicts in the state. Of course, as you know, I have the largest verdict in the nation for defamation. Right. Yeah, fifty-eight million. I'm looking at four new cases right now, on just purely defamation cases. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not slowing down. Not slowing down. Not slowing down one bit. Gunning and running. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, Gary, this has been a great episode today, I've thought. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of touch on before we wrap up? Well, I think I've kind of gone through my notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thanks for having me out today. And uh, if you guys are a first-time listener, we appreciate you listening and if you'd like to find us on facebook or send us an email you can find us on facebook at gary richardson the legal warrior or you can send us an email to legal warrior podcast at gmail.com if you guys have a case you'd like to inquire with gary about i'll let him tell you how how you can get in contact with him 918-492-7674 and gary why don't you tell them about the process if they do want to call in yeah, I just call in and, and ask for me, and uh, they will, if I'm there, they will uh, buzz me. If I'm not, they will send me an email, and I will return your call. Typically, uh, the first day you call, you'll hear back from me. And there's no charge for a first conversation with you, from no, what no, I understand. No, no, I, I don't charge unless I end up taking the case. I don't charge you to come in and visit with me about a case and uh, find out whether or not uh, you have something I feel that we can help you with. So feel free to call, and I look forward to hearing from you. Great. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back next week with a new episode.